Hello, and welcome to another edition of Career Education Report. I'm Jason Altmeyer, and today we are going to talk about distance education. Some refer to it as online learning, and we have Dr. Leah Matthews, and she is the executive director for the Distance Education Accrediting Commission. And as we all know and and experienced, when COVID shut the world down, the attention and focus on distance education became very clear to everyone. But, But as I think many in higher education recognize, it's not the first time distance education became prevalent, and Leah has been working most of her career in this field. So, Leah, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome, Jason. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I wanted to start, and I don't do this for everybody. I'm not going to read your entire bio, but you have such a diverse and interesting background that, you, you know, we, we're going to get into the discussion and people have a tendency to think, I know I do when I hear experts pontificate about things, uh, you know, who who are these people? What's their background? Where do they come from? Leah Matthews has an incredible background in that she has been in her current position as the executive director for 10 years. And prior to that, she was vice president for recognition services at the Council for Higher Education Accreditation, where she managed the recognition for 60 accreditors across the country. So, you know, nobody more qualified to talk about accreditation. And before that, she worked for a different accreditor, Accrediting Commission for Career Schools and Colleges. But then it gets interesting, I think. Before that, she worked in Japan for five years as a civilian at the U.S. Army Japan headquarters. And she directed family support services and education programs for children, again, in Japan. And before that, you were a teacher in the Baltimore City Schools system. So you have been on the ground floor of education. You've been overseas. You've worked in accreditation for a long time. I would just start by kind of asking, with with that background and the way things have evolved, where universally now people understand about distance education, where do you think we are today based upon where we're going in the future and and, uh, what's your just overall evaluation of the current state of play? We have certainly come a long way, Jason, in the field of distance education One thing to mention about the time I spent in Japan from 92 to 1997 is I was a distance education student in a graduate program when distance education wasn't in its fully online education technology-based moment that it is in now. But all of these experiences, whether teaching in an inner city institution or uh, living overseas with our service members side-by-side studying with them in a graduate program via distance ed, or working directly with institutions at accreditation. Just the evolution and movement of education into technology has really been tremendous over the last 20 years. And one thing that the pandemic certainly did was push distance education and education technology fully into mainstream teaching and learning. And every institution now has learning management systems. They have faculty trained on how to use technology, and students are certainly using it in all aspects of their experiences in higher education, whether they're an on-campus student or an online student or a combination of both. 
So that there's plenty to talk about and try to digest right now and where things are headed uh, for the future, given the rapid pace of evolution over just the last 20 years. Higher ed doesn't change very quickly, as you know, Jason, but boy, we have certainly seen uh, some significant evolutions. And you have twice represented distance education expertise before federal rulemaking panels. You, you've talked about it countless times. I've heard you speak about it. Nobody knows more about it. And as executive director of an accreditor for distance education schools, can you talk a little bit about who are you, who are your members, who, who are you accrediting, what types of schools do you affiliate with? DEAC is the Distance Education Accrediting Commission formerly known as the Distance Education and Training Council, DETC. We are in our 96th year of operation in quality assurance for distance education. And so we've sort of spanned the whole evolution of distance education from its roots and correspondence course all the way to today with adaptive learning, you know, AI models of teaching health learning that are starting to rapidly evolve and disrupt what's going on in higher education. DEAC has been the standard setter for remote teaching and learning, for how we use education technology in effective ways, how we assess the effectiveness of institutions and in delivering online learning while serving students. And we've really tried to be a partner within the accreditation community. We work with our colleagues in the institutional accreditation setting. We also work with college in colleagues in our programmatic and specialized accreditation areas, just sharing our resources, our time, our talent, our evaluator pool, because we see our role as more than just accrediting our institutions, but also being a, a supportive partner as we kind of move through how education, teaching and learning is changing. At DEAC, we have roughly 100 institutions. Most of them are focused on the adult learner. And most of our programs are in the graduate level arena uh, because we find adult learners uh, want to find graduate programs, whether certificates or degrees, to either enhance or advance themselves professionally. So that's, that's where we are. And it's kind of our sweet spot in, in the graduate arena as well. We have roughly, last count, about 800,000 students across all of our institutions in varying places in their credentials. So it's certainly been an exciting place to be, Jason, for the last 10 years as Distance Ed has taken leaps and bounds into how much it's become ingrained in higher education, teaching and learning. And by definition, distance education crosses state boundaries and, and it's revolutionized the way that students can have the educational experience you talked about. It can even be overseas. So what is the way in which you can ensure quality and have accountability for outcomes for schools and for students with regard to crossing state lines. As you know, distance education is offered across many state boundaries and, and across the whole geography of the United States. And ever since the 2010 program integrity rules that came out of the 2008 Higher Education Act, we've been giving a lot of attention to this interstate delivery of distance education. In particular, there's been questions about the rigor of the assessment of these programs on state-by-state -state basis, and also how we can maybe simplify and improve 
the review of distance education institutions that are participating in educating students across state boundaries. An organization called the National Council for State Authorization and Reciprocity Agreements was formed in 2013 to sort of solve this question about how do we get our arms around distance education activities that are taking place across different state boundaries. States joined NC Sarah to participate in what's called a reciprocity agreement. And the Council for NC Sarah is sort of the steward for these agreements that are formed and, and developed through the regional compact system and then exercised by the states in allowing institutions to participate in reciprocity. You spoke to the question of how do we assure quality that assurance comes from individual states that are reviewing distance education. It also comes from a reliance on accreditation to review distance ed programs, to review their outcomes, to review their platforms for appropriateness, to look at how faculty are trained and developed in delivering on these educational programs. You mentioned the NC Sarah and that acronym, National Council for State Authorization Reciprocity Agreements. So these reciprocity agreements are agreements across states that when distance learning crosses state lines, there is a mechanism to decide what is the universally accepted, the commonly accepted standard for that level of education so that it doesn't vary by state. It would make distance learning impossible if every state had a different mechanism and every every student from every state had, had a different authorization. Right. And I would add, Jason, that we were certainly in that situation from 2010 until NC Sarah was formed. If you were a distance ed institution, you had to go to each individual state and gain their approval to operate within their jurisdiction. Now, I think it's important to mention that many of your members are in California, and California is not a member of the NC SARA system. So institutions in California that are offering distance education outside of those state boundaries have to go to each individual state to secure authorization to operate distance education there. One more point I want to make, Jason, is that state authorization reciprocity is only available to degree-granting institutions. And so your members that are listening to this today uh, that are not offering degrees know that they still have to go state by state to get authorization for any distance education they are operating outside of their state jurisdictions. And it's really important to consider this point because A... California being the only state in the country that does not participate, we all understand California is the biggest state in the country by a wide margin. And the fact that they're not participating causes huge problems for distance education just in and of itself. But another issue that's happening politically is there is an attempt by some to get into the mix on how NC Sarah works and change the rules. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on there? I can talk a little bit about it, Jason. I'm certainly not on the inside of that conversation, but there have been announcements by the Department of Education that they are revisiting state authorization reciprocity as a way to meet those 2010 program integrity rules 
for institutions having proper authorization to operate in any state where they enroll students. Those conversations are given consideration as to whether NCSERA remains a viable activity to monitor and assure education quality and distance education. So certainly we have to be prepared to answer the department's questions about accountability and student protections and how we can make sure that institutions delivering distance education fulfill their obligations to students. I know that NC Sarah has been developing their policy process and they have become far more extensive in their comment periods and their activities that engage different constituencies in participating in conversations about their policies and standards. They're working with their regional compacts and also the state representatives themselves. So, you know, this is something in the next cycle of negotiated rulemaking, Jason, that I think will get attention again. And we may have a lot of the same debates that we had in 2014 when we hammered this out. My hope is that it can be preserved. And this effort is being driven, just to add some color to this, primarily by critics of the for-profit sector of higher education. Their way of looking at it is that they view, we certainly do not subscribe to this point of view, but I think the way they would articulate it is uh, that for-profit schools should be held to a higher standard, that the rules should be different, and in some cases, for-profit schools should not be able to participate in distance education at all. I guess what I would ask you, based upon, you know, I, I talked about your long history in this, and I really believe nobody knows more about it than you do. What What is your observation of, is there a difference between the quality of education based upon the, the sector that's offering it? Jason, in my experience, you know, my answer is no. All institutions have review by the same authorizing entity in the state. And many of them have accreditation through either formerly known as regional accreditation or, or nationally organized accreditors uh, that run through the same sets of standards through the recognition process that sort of frames how accreditation operates. I would also say that whether an institution is organized on a, on a tax-paying basis or, or any other kind of tax structure, the education technologies that are behind these systems are very much the same. And many of these learning platform systems, let's take Canvas for an example. I mean, these are, are for-profit organizations. Uh, our online program management systems are for-profit. And so I would say let, let's stop looking at the, the financial structures in the background and focus more on evidence of student learning, evidence of student achievement, and success of those students after they've left their programs and how they've entered into their professions and gone on with their degree credentials. We're just running around measuring the wrong things, Jason, in, in my opinion. And we could be spending so much more of our efforts and attention on student learning and evidence of that learning, rather than worrying about how something you know is, is structured to the extent that we have been. That's not to say these things shouldn't be looked at, but it seems they have been given higher priority than the actual learning evidence and measuring that than we have been. I mentioned earlier that COVID in 2020 
alerted the rest of the world to something that some people in higher education already knew, which is that higher education can be delivered at a very high quality level through distance learning. Certainly, you, you've spent many years, decades working on that very issue. And what really, now three years later, three years on from, from the pandemic, what do you think the public perception is? Do you think there's a greater acceptance of distance learning? Because we're certainly not going back. Exactly. And I think that acceptance is coming from a cohort of students who in high school started to experience distance education because of remote learning being required. So you have a generation of students that are already prepared to work with education technologies and are expecting it. So distance education in a blended format is part of almost every college experience now. I have a son who is going to be a sophomore in college next year, and he through his freshman year, had a lot of the elements of distance education baked into the curriculum and the systems that his faculty and instructional teams were working with at his university. I think it's now learning alongside distance education, as opposed to distance education as sort of this separate thing and this separate activity that the university does. It's entrenched, and it's not going away. And so that's why we have to focus our efforts on how effective are the delivery systems in distance education? Are we measuring how students are learning? Are we making sure our faculty have the tools and the training and the orientations that they need? And are we constantly engaged in a feedback loop of improvement, assessment, and quality review? And that's where we, we need to be focusing our efforts as we're kind of going forward with all of these new technologies. When you think about the disruption that those technologies have had on all of our lives in every possible way, from iPhones to streaming services to what we're talking about right now in higher education, and certainly AI, which everybody is talking about and focusing on, where are we going in the future with this as it relates to online learning and distance education? I certainly think artificial intelligence, Jason, is going to play a major role in sort of the next generation of online teaching and learning. We need to work alongside artificial intelligence, not against it. We need to learn how to incorporate it effectively into our classrooms, whether they're on campus or online. And you know, we need to kind of look at how students marshal and leverage resources at the universities to learn how to engage with these developments in AI how to use them appropriately and intelligently and thoughtfully, right, going into the future. That's going to be the next major disruption in higher education. I think the disruption of online learning is over. I think the next disruption is going to be these evolving education technologies that are generated through artificial intelligence and certainly raising questions about how faculty should be taking appropriate steps in the future to incorporate these into their classrooms. It's going to be very, very interesting, and we're going to have to rapidly grow some experts in these fields. Our guest today has been Dr. Leah Matthews. She is the Executive Director of the Distance Education Accrediting Commission. Dr. Matthews, thank you for being with us. Jason, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for everything you're doing for students and institutions. At DEAC, we really admire the work you're doing with your fine team at CQ. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Career Education Report. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, visit our website at career.org and follow us on Twitter at CQED. That's at C-E-C-U-E-D. Thank you for listening. Topic up.